I, I want to jump right in today. I'm not gonna, we're not going to take a ton of time because I want to just jump in and I want to really unpack this the story of this man who's transformed, and he goes through this process where he goes from a man with leprosy and, and these issues he had to a man who was freed and a man of faith. And I want to look at the process of transformation. We love a good process, don't we? Because we know processes hold the key to the ends we're looking to find. Like, has anybody ever seen the show How It's Made? Love that show, sort of. Like, it's not a show you ever go on to, like, I'm going to go find how it's made. Like, you know, no one does that. But when, you're, when you flip the TV on and it's on Discovery Channel, I, I defy you to be able to turn the channel when you're seeing how a hockey glove's made. You just can't. you got to know what happens next. Like, I was in an airport just this week, and, and I was seeing how, uh, like, a, a Bombardier Sea-Doo was made. I don't know why. I don't think I'm ever going to make one, but I couldn't look away. Like, molding the plastic. Anyway, I'm a huge nerd, I know. But we, but we love to see inside. Like, I've, I don't know how much time I've wasted on, on the show How It's Made. Anybody even know what the show I'm talking about, How It's Made? It goes behind the scenes and it shows you step by step how like things in your life are made. Like I know how, how nice wallets are made. I've seen that episode. I know how old town canoes are made. I know how hockey gloves are made. Uh, I know how um, I've seen trombones made. Fascinating process. Anyway, just saying, you should check it out when you go home. Google it, how it's made. But we see the process of how something comes into being. And I, we know that processes are actually really important in our lives, don't we? In fact, we pay lots of money to get the process. Like, for instance, those of you who are trying to lose weight, you go to Weight Watchers and you pay. A, that wasn't a joke. You, you literally, this is what you do. I'm glad. This is going to be easy today. They're laughing at things that aren't even funny. So you go to Weight Watchers and you, and you, pay, you pay for the process that helps you put the steps in place to lose weight, correct? Maybe you're a business owner or you're a businessman or you're an entrepreneur. You go to the leadership conference or you read that book to get the step-by-step -step process that will help you become the business leader you want, correct? Or maybe you're just that husband that wants to be a better husband and so you read all the books on how to be an awesome husband like you do, right? Did you do that? No? Okay. But we know that people pay hundreds and thousands or tens of thousands. Companies pay millions of dollars refining the process that makes them the company they want to be. We understand in this world that things don't just happen, amen? But there's always a process that's put in place that goes from A to B. And what we find here in this story is a man who's transformed. And I want to look at it through the lens of your spiritual life. Have you ever wondered what the process of transformation is in your life? Like you, maybe you're brand new to faith and you've put your faith in Jesus and you've started to follow him and now you realize that, you know what, I didn't arrive at the finish line, I just began this walk and it's a lot harder than I thought it was. Like now you realize that there's all these things in my life that I'm noticing that I need to change in that area and God's putting his finger on it and you realize, okay, something's off over here. I need to go from being a person who's constantly afraid and bombarded by fear and despair. God's called me to be courageous and be full of peace. So I need to go from here to here. Have you ever wondered what the process is? Maybe some of you struggle with addiction. And you've started following Jesus and you know that Jesus is saying, and he's calling you saying, I, I don't want you to be bound up to some substance. I don't want you to be addicted. And, and you've tried to actually go from addiction and bondage to freedom. And you've tried to do that yourself and you've realized something. I don't, I don't know how to change. Anybody ever felt like that? Anybody ever felt like you thought you'd changed and then you realized you hadn't? Like you modified your behavior for a little while and then you find out, oh, I'm still me. Ever, ever do that? We, here's the thing I've found in my own life. There are times where I just don't know how to change. I think there's, that's the struggle for a lot of us. That there are areas in our lives, things in our lives that we want to see change. Maybe you struggle with depression. Maybe you struggle with anxiety. And you know, God, the Bible says, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but a, but a spirit of a sound mind. That I'm not supposed to be afraid. I just can't stop being afraid. I don't know what it is, but we know that struggle of transformation. The, the old people, the old folks would have called it sanctification back in the day. Call it holiness, the, the, the process by which you are made to be like Jesus. Here's what I found to be true, though. That's a really difficult process if you don't know what you're doing. It's really hard to become like Jesus if you don't know the steps. And, and I want to look at this, and i got a hope-filled message for you, so you stay to the end. But I want to look at the process of changing, the things that change you into the likeness of Jesus that actually give power, gives you the power to move from being a person of fear to a person of courage or a person of anger to a person of peace or a person of addiction to a person of self-control. That's in the cards for you, but you got to know the process. And so I want to take a peek into the process of transformation. And we find in our story this man named Naaman. 
And now if you have your Bible, we're just going to jump in verse by verse and we're going to unpack this. And you're going to see the process of how God transforms a life. And we get the luxury of looking in or peering, peering in to the life of this man named Naaman. And we get to see into kind of the intimate process where God unveils it for us to see how he goes about his transformation process. If you're just joining us, we've been spending the last, can you believe it, five weeks in this series called The Unveiling, where we're talking about seeing what we had not seen before. And I don't know about you, but I've been enjoying going through the stories of these two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Anybody who was here last week, did you enjoy Pastor Seth's message? That was so good. It was such a blessing to me. We've been walking through week by week, and this week we're going to look again, and we're going to get a vision of, we're going to see what process of transformation looks like. And so we find this man named Naaman, and it tells us a couple things about him. If you have your Bible, just leave it open. It says, Naaman was the commander of the army of Aram. Now, Aram, if you're familiar with your Bible history, Aram are back and forth at odds with Israel off and on all through the Old Testament. They're constantly going at it. We find out that they're kind of in a season of peace, but they're never totally at peace. It's kind of like that Russia and USA, like it's not war, but we don't really, there's always that like unnamed tension in the air. That's what we're in here in Aram. And we find out this man named Naaman is, the Bible says, a great man. He's a great man. It says right there in the Bible. Actually, it's a really fun word to say in the Hebrew. He's an ish gadol, right? Wouldn't that be cool to like, oh, the ish gadol's coming. Hey, this is, there's an ish gadol going right there. He's a great man. He's an ish gadol. And we find out the reason he's such a great man is because he's a war hero. He's a man who succeeded so profoundly in war and in battle that he went from obscurity to being now the second in command over an entire nation. This isn't the first time we've heard stories like this. You've heard it in the Bible. This is the story of David. David, he goes from the shepherd field. He succeeds in battle. He becomes this great warrior, and God elevates him. You you see the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. He goes from being sold into slavery in a pit and then into a prison, and God elevates him to be the second in command over Egypt. And in a similar vein, we see this man named Naaman having succeeded so profoundly in battle that his master, Ben-Hadad II, had had raised him up to be in charge of the entire army of Aram. So next to the king himself, Naaman's the guy. Naaman was rich. Naaman was powerful. Naaman was successful. He was strong. He was talented. This guy had it going on. Like he had everything. Like in the eyes of the world, if you were to look at Naaman, you'd say, I would love to have his life. He had everything. He had power. At his beck and call, he could move armies. He had all the money he could ever want. He had wealth. He had wisdom. He had everything. And yet, we find it says he was a great man, but. It's always a but, isn't there? Everyone's got a but. I didn't mean it to come out like that. Um, (laughs) There's always a but. He was a great man, but he had leprosy. Now, if you don't know anything about leprosy, you find it common in the Bible. It's still actually a disease that affects people today. It's a skin disorder that actually rots away your flesh. It's it's very difficult and painful. It actually kills people. It's, It's a horrible disease, a painful disease. It actually rots right through your bone. It'll so people lose limbs, they lose appendages. It's a horrible disease. And we find out Naaman has it. And now the only reason we know he has it is because of this biblical account. And I want to suggest to you that even the people in his country probably did not know he had this disease. This was a hidden disease, hidden underneath of his success, hidden underneath of his armor. People didn't know he had this going on. A couple clues we get. The first clue is this. Later on when he storms off from Elisha, didn't he say, I thought he would come out and wave his hand over the spot? There is a spot on his flesh that is leprosy. And it is something that he cannot control himself. With all of his wealth, all of his might, all of his power, all of his success, there is nothing he can do. He can't scrub it off. He can't wish it away. He can't work it off. It's just there and it's growing and expanding. It's this hidden, under the skin disease that is starting to show itself now on his skin. 
It was just a spot. In fact, we probably that none of this would have happened if it weren't for this girl that they'd captured. And he, what she would have seen, probably him in some of his most intimate places in his home. At, in those days, a servant and a slave, they were property. Naaman would have undressed in front of her. She would have seen all those things because he would not have thought of her as a human being. She was just a slave. She it might, have, might as well have been the cat sleeping in the corner. His wife and he would have done whatever they would have wanted in the full presence of this young girl that's from Israel. And so we know this is a hidden disease. Naaman had this issue. You ever know, you ever notice how if you draw near to someone and you get close enough to someone and you find out about them... They can seem like they've got everything going on, but if they open up enough, you'll find out everybody's got issues. I was going to say everybody's got a butt, but we already went there. Everybody's got issues. Everybody has things going on, even the ones that we would look at and we would say, wow, there's a great man, there's a great woman. Look how successful she is. Look how beautiful she is. Do you know that every person's got that hidden issue that if you could just see in the bedroom of their lives that they cover up and they go real go to lengths to try to try to hide but it's there you know what I mean every one of us have them the Bible says he was a great man but he had leprosy he had this issue that he wasn't able to succeed over, didn't, didn't matter how high he climbed in the ranks of the army of Aram, didn't matter how much success he had, how much money he had, this was an issue that he was not going to be able to buy or war his way out of. That was leprosy. And when you look in the Bible, leprosy is a picture of a condition that affects all human beings. It's a picture of something we call sin. Sin's not a word that you think of that often anymore. It's not a word that our culture really likes to hear. But sin is, is essentially the disease that affects the soul of humanity that causes death. That's what sin is. The Bible says everybody's got it. Everybody's infected. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sometimes what you and I would call sin is actually just the symptoms of the disease. It's just it showing up on the outside, what's actually going on on the inside. Leprosy is a picture of those issues and those places and those spaces in our lives that we just don't have the power to change. You probably can think of one right now. You can probably think of some area in your life that, you know what, you're a great person, but got a great marriage, but there's this issue going on. Got a great family, but there's this thing I can't change. There's this thing I'm contending for. I need a miracle here. There's always a but. Naaman was a great man, but he had this issue called leprosy. And then it says this in verse 2. If you have a Bible, let's lift it, open it right up. It says, now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. Get that picture in your mind. So uh, Naaman's people had gone out. They'd raided a, a, an Israeli uh, town, and they'd taken captive this young girl. And so Naaman has this slave girl in his home. She served his wife. She was his personal, her personal assistant. And in verse 3, it says, She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Here is where his transformation begins. If you're taking notes, here is where the whole thing starts. It starts because there was this young girl in his home that Naaman probably didn't even know her name. Naaman wasn't looking out for her. Naaman probably didn't have a relationship with her. She was just there hidden off in the corner, and yet she possessed the knowledge that was going to change his life. Here's the first thing you need to know about the transformation process. Here's how God's, God always begins. It always starts small. God's transformation process always starts small. Small. It's in that unnoticed, un, uh, this unintended, this space in your life. I suspect this. In fact, I guarantee this based on the word of God. There is a grace placed in your life somewhere right now that will help you with your issue. The Bible promises that. Did you know that? Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians Chapter 10, he says this, no temptation has overtaken you, no testing, no trial has overtaken you except that which is common to mankind. What's he saying? He's saying everybody goes through stuff. Don't think that you're special. 
Everybody's got their issues. Everybody's got their thing they're dealing. Don't think that you're special. He says, it's not overtaking you except that which is common to man. And then he goes on and he says this, and God is faithful. Can you say that? God is faithful. Say it again. God is faithful. He's faithful even in your issues. Watch this. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, a lot of us would look back on certain seasons in our lives, and in the moment we think, where are you, God? But some people, I know there are people in this room, probably people in the East as well, are watching online. There are people who have come through seasons that when you look back, you, you didn't see it at the time. It was just a little slave girl in the room. I didn't even notice that she was there. But now that I look back, God had put his grace right there when and where I needed it. It started in a small place. I wasn't looking for it, but there it was, and it got me through. The Bible says, as your days are, so shall your strength be. When God begins the transformation process in your life, it begins in the smallest of places. God's grace comes through almost a pinprick in your life. This is why the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 4, it says, don't despise the days of small beginnings. This is why Jesus once said, he who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. This is why Jesus said, faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. It's those little tiny things in your life that you don't expect it, but they are keys. They are God's grace planted in your life at just the right time in just the right place. I've seen it in my own life. That person who God brought into my life at just the right time in my time of need, and I look back and say, God brought grace into my life. I didn't even notice it. I wasn't even looking for it, and there it was. There is a grace in your life right now. I guarantee it. That God is placed nearby. Here's the thing. The beginning of your transformation is a lot closer than you think. The question is, are you looking in the right place? I think a lot of the time we look for the skies to part and God to drop manna from heaven, which he's done that before. But generally, God provides things in those spaces and places where we're not even looking. It's like that hidden key. It's like, uh, and has anybody ever gone to breakout in St. John? You need to go. My goodness. There's like six of you. Actually, the, the people who run that place go to our church. At least go to support them. Come on, people. Break, <laughs> breakout is this place where you go as a group or a party and a team. And, and what you do is you get locked in a room. Fun, right? You get locked in a room and you have clues to try to unlock. It's a puzzle and you have to unlock the, 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 the game to get out of the room. And so we took our staff there back in June. It was tons of fun. It was humiliating because my team did not break out, which to this day has really, my pride has struggled with that. I'm going to go back and I'm going to get out. But one of the cool things about this, and it's kind of frustrating though too, is that all the things that you need to get freedom are in the room. They're already there. You just have to follow the steps and look in the right places to find the keys that unlock the next thing. And, and so that, that's how it works at Breakout. And it's, I thought of that as kind of a picture for your life. God has not left you hanging. He has not forsaken you. He has not abandoned you. There are keys and there are clues and there are little touches of his grace all around you that he will give you. But you, you, you always are looking for the big thing. And oftentimes God's grace comes in these little, small, strangely wrapped packages. These places that you're not looking. It always starts out small. Transformation starts out small. Like maybe, maybe like what, for instance, with your financial issues. Maybe you have big debt issues. Maybe the, the, the secret isn't that you need to go home and you're going to win that lottery. Or maybe you, you know, you're playing the lottery to try to dig out. Or maybe, maybe you're just praying, God, would you, send, would you like knock off my great aunt and so I can get my inheritance? Whatever it is you're praying for. And you want that big thing. And God's saying, no, no, it's not in those big things. It's in those small Little simple decisions and those little graces I put along your way that will give you freedom. It's kind of step by step by step that God transforms a life. And it always starts out small. It's like your physical health. I mean, we all want the pill, the, like the, the weight loss pill, right? Like, I just take this and ding, I look awesome. Except it doesn't work that way. To get healthy, you make those little smart decisions with your meals. You make those smart decisions with your sleep. You make those little smart decisions at the gym. And that's what transforms your life. And it's not unlike your soul. Do you know that God designed your body and your soul? And a lot of the principles that affect the health of your body also affect the health, health of your soul. 
and it's those small little, I know, I know you want me to tell you there's a presto changeo microwave thing, but there's not. It's those small little decisions compounded as you walk it out, add it up, those change your life. It's that decision to get up early and pray. It's that, that small, simple decision. I'm just going to get the verse of the week on my Bible app. I'm just going to do that. It's those small, simple things. God's grace is be, always begins small. Transformation always begins small. But Naaman didn't notice this. He wasn't looking in the right place. Watch what happens next. Naaman still didn't fully understand this. this. This young girl spoke up, and then watch what Naaman does with this information. Instead of going to the, to the guy, in, going to Elisha in Samaria, he goes up to the king. He goes and presents himself to the king, and he says this. Naaman went to his master, verse 4, and told him about this girl, what the girl had said, and, and the king said, by all means, go. And you know what? I'll send you a permission slip. I'll send you a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left taking with them 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Now, I can't get into all of what that means, but that's hundreds of thousands of dollars he's taking. He's taking all of his money. He's taking a letter from the king. He, he's loading up. Get this picture in your mind. He's taking a letter from the king. And then it says this, the letter, the, that, the letter that he took to the king of Israel read this, with this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Here's money, here's a letter, here's my guy, do your thing, king. It's going to the highest power in his mind. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes. He had a freak out, just freaked. I think this, I, I find this funny, like he just flips his lid. Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow, I love fellow too, why does this fellow send somebody to me to cure him of leprosy? I'm not a magician. And then he rips his clothes. Don't do that. Don't do that. Stop. Now the reason actually, I know we're having fun with that, but the reason he's flipping out is because he thought the king of Aram was trying to pick a war with him. He thought the king of Aram was sending him something impossible because he knew he couldn't do it. And then he was going to come back and say, you didn't do that. Let's go again. It's time to fight. He thought he was trying to start a war. And so the king of Israel flips out. He loses his mind. And then Elisha gets word of this. And Elisha, the man of God, sends this message that says this. Why have you torn your robes? Settle down. Have the man come to me and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. I love the confidence of Elisha. And he knows this. He goes, this is not an issue for horses and chariots. This isn't an issue for kings and kingdoms. This isn't an issue for money or silver. It's not an issue for power. This is an issue for Almighty God. I love it. And here's the second thing. If you're taking notes about transformation. It starts out small and it's always unusual. Transformation is unusual. It's unordinary. It's not what you think it is. It comes in strange packages. It's not going to happen. Your life is not going to change by doing the things that you've always done. Your life is not going to be transformed because you tried harder. It's not going to be transformed because you put, you read that new book. It, there's going to be, if it's going to be God changing your life, it's going to be an unusual way it happens. See, Naaman didn't understand this. His mind was still squarely fixed within the ways of the world. And so I'm going to get the king. I'm going to get a small army. I'm going to get hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm going to show up at this guy's doorstep. I'm going to pay him. And I'm going to earn. I'm going to buy this healing. That's what he was thinking. And Elisha says, send him to me. He's going to find out God doesn't play those games. And that there's a different way that God works and changes a life. Now, this is super important. You have to understand this. God does not work the same way that you and I work. And a lot of the time when it comes to our lives, we try to fight spiritual battles with natural weapons. And we try to, 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 to take down issues or giants in our lives. We try to deal with these leprosy issues and try to find this spiritual healing by, by applying these natural methods. But here's the thing. There's unusual methods. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He's going to do it differently. It's unordinary. You can't fight heavenly battles with earthly weapons. And if you want your soul and your life to transform, it's going to happen God's way, not your way. 
Naaman wasn't thinking that way. I love that scripture Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons are of our warfare. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they're of divine power to demolish strongholds. We fight with spiritual weapons. How often do we just try to like, I think the most common one when it comes to transformation, if you're like me, it's willpower. Right? You try to like willpower your way. Okay, I'm going to work really hard and I'm not going to do this anymore. Whatever your issue is. Maybe you're like an angry person. You're like, I'm just not going to get mad anymore. And you like white knuckle the steering wheel while people are cutting you off. I was driving on the road this today and there's someone driving 30. I was, I was like, come on people. I was going to, uh, anyway, I've got issues. <laughs> but, but that's just my point though. You can't just decide to change. You can't just decide, you know what? God calls me to be meek and mild, and so I'm going to be meek and mild. No, you're not. <laughs> or maybe, maybe, you, maybe something a little, a, little more, a little more hidden. Maybe you have like a pornography addiction. And you think, you know what? I'm just going to stop doing that. And then you, you just find you can't. And that's because you're trying the wrong way. You're doing the wrong things. God's ways are not your ways. It comes in these different forms. Like think about how Jesus taught. When Jesus was teaching about like reconciliation or he's teaching about this, like he said at one point, he said, you have heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. That's how you fight. Whoa. That's unusual, right? It's unusual ways. Here's one. Jesus, Jesus talked about how to, how to find freedom in your finances, in your resources. Here's how Jesus would tell you to deal with your debt problem. He's telling you you're too cheap and you need to give so you can receive. Wait, what? That's how, I'm telling you, God provides these means to, to transformation that defy logic. It is crazy. I'll stand up here on the authority of God's word and tell you, if you're struggling financially and you're not giving to God, you start giving to God and he will bring into order everything else. But it's this crazy thing that defies logic. It's not logical. It just completely trips your wires, doesn't it? But the Bible says give and it'll be given to you. You want to deal with your debt issues? You need to start giving. <laughs> right? Permission for you, to, that, that is attention. God's defying your logic. Or, or what about this one? Here, here's one. You, you want to be that dad. You want to be present. You want to you you know, be the husband you're supposed to be and the father you're supposed to be and the friend you're supposed to be and you want to run that business the way you can and you just find, you know what, I've got seven days and 24 hours each day and I just don't have the time to do it all. God would say, you need to give me a whole day and then you'll have more time. What? God's ways are unusual. If you find that God is leading you down a path where you kind of scratch your head and you say, really, God, this is the way, you're probably on the right track. Transformation, it's always, God's way is always unusual. Let's keep going. I, I could talk on all of these quite a while, but I'm choosing not to. Verse 9 says this. So Naaman, get this picture in your head. Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now, this is actually biblical humor. It's actually a funny word picture. Uh, the, the closest thing we could compare uh, horses and chariots in those days would be like armored tanks and Apache helicopters, a full platoon. They got those, you know, those, uh, what are the, the, the big things with like the eight wheels on them that can go in the water. Like just all the craziest military technology rolls up in front of this like little prophet's shack. It's hilarious. You just see these big tanks like pointed at this shack and Naaman like yells, is there a prophet here? Like big bold Naaman and all his pomp and circumstance and power and his cape on. Like he's just full-fledged power man. And look what happens next. It's hilarious. Elisha sent his messenger. Like that is a huge cultural slap in the face. Like, like, can you imagine, like, like, it's like a kid comes out, like, hey, Mr. Naaman. Like, like that kid from The Simpsons who has every job, he has this job too. The, the, the zits, you know that guy? Like, totally just disrespecting Naaman. Naaman, watch what happens. The, Elisha sends a messenger out to this great man, the Ishkadol, 
It says, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry. What? How dare you send your servant to me? I thought that he would surely come out to me. Listen to his language. It's always like, I've always like, I've had my wife or those close to me. I've, I've talked this way before, and you don't hear yourself when you're talking that way. It's always takes someone like on a third party to say, do you, see, do you hear yourself right now? Look at this. I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure my leprosy. Now he wants me to go down and wash in that dirty, dank, nasty old Jordan River. We've got the clean rivers back in Damascus. Why on earth would I, why would I even degrade myself to do such a thing? And it tells us that he stormed off in a rage. And his real condition is revealed. See, leprosy is a symptom. And God was not interested in dealing with the symptom. He was interested in dealing with with the disease, he is a proud man. And he is furious at the way God dealt with him. Here's the third thing. And we're getting a little farther, and not all of us get past this step. But God's process of transformation is often very offensive. It's often offensive. It often flies in the face of you. And me. It's often that we come to God asking for him to deal with this issue, and God drives 10 notches deeper and puts his finger somewhere else. Let me use a personal example. There are times, it's only happened once where my wife and I have argued. It's only happened once. (laughs) And I'll pray, God, fix her. (laughs) I love you so much. God, you know what I have to deal with, right? And you know how you know how God fixes my marriage? Wow. Uh, Oliver, I'm gonna ask for another five to ten minutes. Thank you, though. Maybe it sounds super spiritual at a moment <laughs> that I was talking about personal transformation. I appreciate that. I do. I do. I have five points today, not three. Good try, though. I appreciate it. Oliver, everybody. (laughs) That was awesome. He's actually one of our interns. This guy is incredible. We We have several interns right now that God's blessed us with, and so I can get away with that with him. But I find God's transformation process often flies in my own face. When I want God to fix my marriage, he points out my flaws, not hers. When I want God to fix my, you know, fix this issue or that issue, we always want the surface stuff, don't we? But God always goes right, right for the jugular. And God went right for Naaman's actual disease. It was his pride. It was his pride. See, God's healing, you can write this down if you're taking notes or if you're a tweeter, tweet this. God wants to heal you more than surface level. God's healing is more than skin deep. God actually wants to deal with the dysfunction in your soul and in your heart. He wants to cure you of the disease, not take away the spot. Oh, he'll take the spot too, but he wants to deal with your heart. And oftentimes it's an offensive moment where God just confounds our wisdom and confounds our pride. I love what Paul puts. I want to read this whole passage to you because I want you to not miss this. But for those of you who, like, maybe you're just still trying to find, is Jesus real? And what's this whole faith thing? And you know what? It defies my logic. It seems dumb. It seems like, how could you believe that? Or or maybe you want some sign or wonder. Here's the thing that that Paul would say to you. Watch this about being offended by God's ways. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? What's he saying? God's doing it on purpose. Why? If you go all the way to the last, the last slide, guys, down in verse 31, 
says, therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Here's the whole point. You can't think your way into the kingdom. You can't think your way into transformation. You can't willpower your way into transformation. You can't work your way into transformation. It is something that God does. And so transformation is often found, actually always found, at the end of yourself. It's found at the end of yourself. Watch what happens next to Naaman. He actually goes further with it. I love this. Let's, let's bring up verse 13. It says, Naaman's servants went to him. You see this? Naaman goes from, just let's, let's just retrack his pace here, his, his journey. He goes from his palace palatial bedroom where this little humble servant girl points him in the right direction. And now his servants once again Come to him. And what do they say? Verse 13, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Go, you, know what, you know what? This is a really nice way of the servant saying, you need to get over yourself. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Try not to get fired, right? Like, <laughs> how do you do that? Sir, you are a huge jerk, and you need to get over yourself. Like, he's just trying to dance around this very volatile, proud man. He's saying, look, if he came and said something great to do, and you had to pay all that hundreds of thousands of dollars and have the big ceremony, wouldn't you have done it? How much more when he says, just go do this? But here's the difficulty. It comes at the end of your pride. For him to do that meant the end of a long journey of humiliation. He comes down from his palace, down from Aram to Samaria. Actually, geographically on the map, it literally goes down. Down from Aram to Samaria. Down from his horse to the, to the prophet's shack. And then the prophet doesn't even come down. The messenger comes down and says, go down to the river and wash in it seven times. Not even once. You got to get right in there and wash seven times. And step by step, by step, by step, he's being pushed down. And that proud man has been confronted. And here's the, here's the path to transformation. It's in humility. It's in humility. If you're taking notes, number four is this. God's transformation process is always humbling. You always come to this place where you are humble and you like name and you get up off your high horse and your title can't help you and your track record can't help you and your money can't help you and who you are can't help you. If God's going to do something in your life, it's you empty handed, just you and him receiving the gift of his grace. Name is humbled. He's brought down to his lowest self. And there he finds it. See, too many of us walk away right before the breakthrough. We can't do it. We can't bring ourselves to do it. But Naaman did it. Watch what happens next. Oliver, you can come back now. <laughs> They're watching. They're watching. Actually, let me read this while he comes. Here's a principle in, in the kingdom of God. Look at this. James 4. Verse 8, James says, come near to God, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. I love that, that analogy. It goes right with getting in the Jordan. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and wail. Those of you who are proud, change your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom. What's he saying? Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's where transformation takes place. That's the point of healing is after you, your humility. There is a correlation between God's healing and your humility. There is a correlation between your humility and God's transformation in your life. Humble yourself before him and he will lift you up. Oftentimes God will lead you down a, lead you down a path that feels very humbling, almost degrading to the person that you were trying to be. But God loves you enough to take you to your knees so that he can lift you up. It's humbling. I had, a, I had coffee with a buddy of mine this past week, actually, who 
he's going, he's making that move from uh, business world to ministry. And God's called him. When God calls you, answer. And God's called him to make that move. And he's shifting and making that shift. And that means all kinds of things. It means changing their lifestyle and their financial expectations and all those things. And he said, he said to me this week, he goes, you know, God's been so good. But man, it's been humbling. So humbling, and it's easy for me to say on the other side of the table because it wasn't me in the humbling process in this instance. And I said, You know what? It sounds like you're on the right track. It sounds like you're on the highway to elevation if you see yourself going down. It's humility. Watch what happens next. I love this. This is loaded with meaning. It says in verse 14 So Naaman went down from. Aram to Samaria, he went down from his horse, down from the prophet's doorstep, down into the river, and he dipped himself in the Jordan. Think, just get that picture in your mind. Like this great man, he's got a small army behind him, servants, takes off his armor, and there he is, leprosy exposed, not trying to hide anything. dips himself down into the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And as he was doing it, his flesh was restored. That's a picture, church. His flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. And then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God and he stood before him and he said, Now I know there's no God in all the world except in Israel. Nobody could have done this. No money could have done this. No healer could have done this. No army could have done this. Only God could do this. Naaman dipped himself into the river seven times. I want to just break this open for a second. Here's my last point, and it's so profound, it's not. God's process of transformation is a process. Like, that makes no sense, Brent. That's redundant. That makes no sense. Bear with me. His process is a process. Think, think back on what Naaman said when, when he was all ripping mad at Elisha's servant. He said, I surely thought you would come out here and you'd wave your hand over the spot and presto change-o, I'd be healed. That's not how it works. He dipped himself in the river seven times. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about how important numbers are? And the number seven represents completion represents full circle. It represents the end of a cycle. It represents fulfillment. It represents being done. That's what number seven means. So did he literally dive in the river seven times? Probably. But that's not how you're supposed to read into this. You're supposed to read into this. That he just kept dipping. And he kept on doing it until it happened. It took seven times. That, that's another way of saying until it happened. Like one time Peter came to Jesus and said, Hey, how many times must I forgive someone? Ever struggle to forgive somebody? You did it once, it didn't work. And Jesus says, and Peter says, seven times. And Jesus says, 70 times, seven. Lots of sevens. What's he saying? Just keep doing it. Keep doing it. And at some point, I don't know when it happens, but it's a miracle. I don't know whether it was on the third time or the fourth time, but it did happen. And on the seventh time, he was changed. It happened in motion. It happened in those small, little, faithful steps. This is biblical precedent for that. He's not the only leper to happen to be healed in motion. Jesus, one time, 10 of them came to him. 10 lepers said, Master, heal us. And Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. And the Bible says that instantly they were healed. No, it doesn't. It says, as they walked it out. Think about that journey on these leprous feet. That painful walk as they walked it out. We don't know when it happened, but sometime it happened. Seven, it came into completion. Or maybe it's the centurion's son. Remember that story? He comes to Jesus. His son is ill at home. He's dying. And and he comes to Jesus and says, Master, heal my son. I need transformation in my son's body. He's dying. And Jesus says, go, your son will be well. Go, your son will be well. And the Bible says that as he went... He's halfway home, and he's greeted by people from his home. It's like, you'll never believe it. Your son's been healed. And the principle is this. God's miracles and his transformation, it doesn't usually happen in a wham, bam, poof way. Every once in a while, there are those weird miracles that happen, but usually, for most of us, 
Transformation happens in those little, simple, yes by yes, by step, by step, by active obedience, by active humility, every single step until it happens and you wake up someday, you know what, I've changed. I'm not the man I used to be. And so there's hope, there's hope, because if there's some issues in your life, you know what, you keep dipping. You keep dipping. I love this picture. I just want to give you this picture before we wrap up. I love the picture of the Jordan River because the Jordan River is so significant to, to, to the story of Israel and it's significant to us because the Jordan River was the river that separated, get this in your mind, it's the river that separated the children of Israel from stepping from life in the wilderness into life in God's promise fulfilled, the promised land. And the Bible says that they journeyed in the wilderness for 40 years. Some of you feel like it's been 40 years. You're waiting for that issue to change. And when am I going to step over into this new life of transformation? Well, the Bible tells us that on the day that they actually made that journey from the wilderness into the promised land, that it was actually the priests who led the way. And they had the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God's presence, put God first. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. And so it says that they actually came up to the Jordan River and they dipped their toes in it. And as they dipped their toes in it, the Bible tells us that the river Jordan stopped flowing. And it stopped flowing all the way back to the town called Adam. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar for a few things to be going off. You ever heard the name Adam before? Some of you maybe haven't. I'm glad you're here. Adam... Adam, no, seriously, there's, there's, there's people, we're glad you're here if you've never heard that name. But Adam and Eve, we believe that's where the whole problem of sin came from in the first place. And so this is a picture, church, when the Israelites stepped into the water and the waters backed up all the way to Adam. It means the flow of the water stopped. And it's a prophetic picture of what was accomplished by Jesus. That when Jesus hung on a cross... When Jesus was stabbed in the side and his blood was pouring out and the waters came out of his side, a new river began to flow and the river of Adam, the river of sin, the river of death, the river of destruction was blocked by Jesus and a new river called grace began to flow. So here's a simple invitation. And here, here, this is why this is such good news because I didn't want anyone to leave this place or leave east or wherever you are. I don't want you to leave thinking, okay, here's what I got to do. I got to do this. I'm going to look for a small thing. I'm going to look for the unusual thing. I'm going to humble myself. It's going to be offensive. That's not how it happens. Transformation happens when you dip yourself in the river. Jesus is the river. This is a picture that as you immerse yourself in Jesus, as you dip yourself in Jesus every day and you get up in the morning, you just, you dip yourself in Jesus first with with your finances, you dip yourself in Jesus with your fears, you dip yourself in Jesus with your addictions, you pursue Jesus. And as you do that on the seventh time, don't stop on six, go until it's done. On the seventh time, you will find you are changing. Here's the deal transformation does not happen because you made a decision to change. It happens because you made a decision to follow Jesus and immerse yourself in Jesus and to just ride the wave and dip yourself in the river of God's grace. That's what changes you. It's the grace of Jesus. Let me say it this way. I I grew up going to a camp called Beulah Camp, and I, I have fond memories of it. I love Beulah. I go there every year. It's about 45 minutes from here. It's a special place. But it comes out of a movement called the Holiness Movement. And as you come into the campground, there's this fence. And on the fence, there's a little plaque. It says, dedicated to the pursuit of holiness since 1860-whatever. And it's just been the last few years where I've started to realize how foolish that pursuit is. You see, you don't pursue holiness. You don't pursue transformation. You don't pursue self-help. You don't pursue freedom. You don't pursue Whatever your issue is, you don't pursue that. You don't put your focus on on the ends. You put your focus on the means. You don't pursue holiness. You pursue Jesus. And as you pursue Jesus, holiness is the result. See, holiness is fruit. Someone needs to hear this because you maybe you grew up and you're like, 
bashing yourself, saying, when am I going to get better? You will change when you dip yourself, when you immerse yourself seven times. You immerse yourself in the river Jesus, when you immerse yourself in his grace, when you immerse yourself in his love, when you make him your pursuit. That's when you start to change. You're not going to change because you tried harder. You're not going to change because you worked harder. You're not going to change because of what I said or because you came and sang songs at church. These are all helpful things, but the only one who has the power to change you is that Jesus, the river of God's grace, flowing infinitely to you, and as you every day, every moment, every way, dip yourself in, you will find yourself changed. Hebrews 12 says this. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders. Let us throw the weight and the sin and all the junk, the leprosy, the crap, all the stuff that just, it destroys our lives. Let's throw it off. And it says this, we do this. How do you do it? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter. What's that mean? It means that transformation is fueled and funded, began and completed by Jesus. So if you leave this place today saying, I got to go out and be a better Christian, you did not hear me. But if you leave this place saying, I just got to get to Jesus in every way I know how. I need, to, I need to talk to Jesus more. I need to read about Jesus more. I need to sing to Jesus. I need whatever I can do to just immerse myself in that river. If you leave here and you do that, you will change. And you will change in ways you never thought possible. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. If you dedicate yourself to the pursuit of the end, you will be frustrated. But if you dedicate yourself to the pursuit of the means, you will be changed. If you pursue Jesus in those small, simple little ways, you will change forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you today that it is by grace we have been saved through faith. It is by grace that we are being saved. It is by grace that we will forevermore be saved, Lord. It is all about your grace in the person of Jesus. And so, God, I pray for the one here today who's struggling with that issue. They've got that spot or that thing they're ashamed of or that issue that just won't go away. Lord, I pray that they would know there is a river that flows freely called grace, called Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that they would find your healing power wrapped up in the person of Jesus and that they would learn how to pursue Jesus. God, teach us as a church to be about Jesus, not be about some form or some function, but we're just a church that pursues Jesus and lifts up Jesus and loves Jesus and immerses ourselves in Jesus. And by that, Jesus, you said, remain in me and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. God, teach us to abide in you to remain in you and that we would be transformed. Jesus, we thank you for grace today. It's amazing. It's transforming. And Lord, I pray today as we wrap up, Lord, would you rest your grace on every heart? Would they know, Lord, there is grace for today, there's new mercies every morning, and that it is only by your grace that we are saved. We thank you in Jesus' name for changing us into the likeness of your Son, for bringing us from death to life. Thank you in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Let's sing, church. Love you.